welcome back to another episode of Out of Context History with me, Bob. I want to take a quick minute to thank everyone who's listened. Um, We are well over 500 views now, and it seems like there's a trend, you know, people like what I'm talking about with Vietnam, which is awesome. That makes me feel really good because that means I know something. (laughs) Um, so thank you. Today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about Vietnam, but through the eyes of a medevac, right? So who is that? What's their role in Vietnam? And some of the things they might have seen different from, say, a World War One or a World War II medic. So real quick, some of the things they would have saw... Now, this is out of Operation Against Guerrilla Warfare 1963 uh, Marine Manual. So, some of the things they would have saw were booby traps, um, huge, huge, like, spears in people's feet. The, the NVA and the Viet Cong, the one thing they knew how to do really, really well was make booby traps. And... You know, I could only imagine some of the pain when people fell into whatever, my whatever. But imagine being the medic who has to deal with it. And, you know, I'm going to get into the book and I'm going to get into some of the things they had to do to not only stay alive, but to stay sane. It's hard to think about some of the things they did because... Some of the things you do during wartime you have to do to keep yourself safe. And mentally, I wouldn't say stable, but mentally focused on the task at hand and keeping and staying alive. Before we get into the, you know, book and the context of Vietnam Medevac, little life update. So I am currently enrolled in one master's class. I had my, you know, Vietnam experience at the Patton Homestead. I've talked about it before. You guys have heard my interview with Joanne. And now it's just kind of grown to this period of time during, you know, COVID-19 into reading books. I've just read so many Vietnam stories, not just stories, but political aspect, the French aspect, just so many different things. I'm just trying to be a sponge to the best of my ability because that's what we need to be. Everyone to try to take in as much information as possible. You know, that's how we learn and become better humans is a historic way, right? Think about the past. How can we make it better for the future? So real quick, I just want to open up with a very interesting statement about Vietnam from a book about the medevac. So, and I quote, In 1967, we didn't fully realize the extent of our enemy's underground network. So... You think back, World War One, World War Two, all these 
conflicts had underground tunnels. Well, what made the Viet Cong and the NVA so different and so unique? So why is that, right? So why don't we have a better understanding of the tunnels? Well, when you think about, you know, conflicts in the world and geography in a bigger light, right? World War One and World War Two, there was a line, right? I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is no line in Vietnam. There is an LZ, which is a landing zone, and an enemy that you have to go find. Right, so there's landing zones, there's no man land, there's you know hot zones, then there's cities like Hawaii, Saigon, Quezon, all these different places that have built find built structure to them in some way. So, I it's not that I think we took for granted the geography of Vietnam you know I think we didn't realize how strong and how tough it, it was I mean if you really think about the geography just as geography it had last since it got there right since Vietnam was Vietnam they have stood tall against outside forces just the geography Include, and the people did too as well but you have that situation and then you have this huge situation at home right first Kennedy 60, 63 he's in office you know he has an idea of foreign policy out of the three of them I think he had the best idea not saying it was good but out of the three presidents in Vietnam he probably had the better understand of foreign policy, and he listened to Eisenhower, and then, you know, boom. Literally, he gets taken out, LBJ steps in, and shits the bed. Nixon is just power-hungry, and I think people know that and realize that now. Every year, he would just lose, lose, right? He lost to all of them. He lost to Kennedy. But, you know, the man, I mean, it's hard to say. And I think going back to the whole geography of Vietnam, the, the leaders here were so caught up in their own little game, political game. And Macamilla didn't understand. And, you know, I, I, you know, Westmoreland was way too old school. I know that's interesting to think about because we live in a time where old school, right? You hear that everywhere. But Westmoreland was the old school general. Patton, on the other hand, I think had a better understanding of Vietnam because he understood that it wasn't... You can't attack the same enemy all in the same way, especially when they're fighting guerrilla warfare against you. How is guerrilla warfare and... You know, World War One and World War Two storming the beaching tactics gonna help and work. It's not. So they had to come up with different ideas, and for you know the most part, you know, though 
those guys, I think, all in all, the NVA, the you know, the American side, all the guys who fought against each other, they all, I think, at the end of the day, would have respect for each other and one another. And I say that because I know the South Vietnamese Army has a lot of respect for the U.S. military and what they did and how they helped. Now, medics and those kinds during Vietnam had different roles than, say, in the past. Some had helicopters. Some had a B in helicopters. Some, if you've seen the last full measure, Pittsburgher was from the helicopter, went down because the army medic was killed. So they had nobody. And then you have, you know, the ground medics and whatnot and the field hospitals and that kind of thing. So you think about all of the stress, right, that these guys are going through, not just, you know, normal issues that you can face in life, but wartime injuries, how do you fix a wartime injury, how do you save someone's life compared to losing a leg, you know, these are the decisions they had to make, still to this day, they have to make these decisions, I mean, I think anybody would say, take my leg off, save my life, would deal with it. But being the person, you know, say you had to knock them out with morphine, right? What they used to do is either in their own blood or in some kind of mark, they would put an M on the forehead. So when they, you know, were on morphine, when they would get raised to a helicopter, they wouldn't just be like, oh, they're dead, right? They're drugged up. So, you know, good. But... The, you know, you you have to separate, which I find unbelievable challenging, is separating the human and the connection with people and humans' connection and interaction with just another human, right? You have to look at all of these just either body bags or whatever whatever gets you through and whatever gets you be able to stay alive and help more men. I think that's what they had to do. And I don't know how you do that. Right? We live in a time where I think human life and this country is being taken for granted a little bit, you know, and for those who, whatever, say what you want, but, you know, you think about things that these people have done in the past. 19-year-old boys sending off to Vietnam, right? You have 12-year-olds in Germany in World War One on the front line realizing this is not what they wanted. 12 years old, 13 years old. And we're worried about this 
it's just so like how do we it's like we take a step forward we only take a step back but the thing I think with Vietnam and the soldiers is even if they had took a step back they kept moving forward right it wouldn't be a large step they keep moving forward just keep moving on and even you know different soldiers dealt with the end of the war different ways but the ones I knew and the ones I know you know they would go on to live very happy lives and have many careers you know one of you know Christopher Tibbs who was a buddy of Gunny Gunny Mac you know, he got back to me a little bit late, but because he's like a CEO, CEO of a company, like these guys, he should be retired by now. But there's just something about them, right? They have, they have this internal drive that just doesn't stop until, you know, it's time for them to go. And I think a lot of that is, has to do with what they saw in life taken. You know, and being able to just carry on. Carry on. You know, always faithful. It's just something I don't think gets taught anymore. Anywhere. Me being, sure, probably in the Marine Corps. But not in life. It should be. I think everyone could learn a lot from the Marine Corps. (laughs) Now, I've heard this before, and I, I kind of like the idea of looking at co- the Korean conflict and Vietnam as World War One and World War Two, right? You know, I think people will agree to disagree forever on if the U.S. won Vietnam Vietnam, you know, we lost Vietnam. You know, the revisionist of Korea and the revisionist like myself of Vietnam. Are, there's gonna be somebody out there who think we're crazy, right? Always, there will always be that traditional historian. Fine, whatever. But it's very interesting because you know I'm not the only one who thinks this way. Right? You have seen this like new flow of Korean revisionists, Vietnam revisionists, the French, we're learning more about what the French involvement, the Russian involvement, the Chinese Empire involvement, not only in Korea, but in Southeast Asia, right? Laos, Cambodia, and you know, we we thought Nigeria was going to be an issue later on, but you know, some military personnel knew, hey, they're not going to be the issue, and look how that turned out, right? 
if you want to go look at some of that information, go to the Patent Homestead in Hamilton, Massachusetts. And that'll explain what I'm saying. You know, he had an idea that Nigeria was not the issue, right? He told Westmoreland, and he told the president, that Nigeria is not the issue. But Reagan was so caught up in it for some reason. I think Reagan, right? Reagan. I might have it mixed up. But, whatever the case may be, right? Whoever was in charge later, you know, they thought that was going to be Cuba or Nigeria, right? Patton was friends with either the prime minister or one of them. Um, someone can correct me if you're listening, if you really want to. Somebody in Nigeria, and he knew Nigeria wasn't the issue, right? It's Cuba, right? And it turns out that that was the issue. Well, that turns out, history turns out he was right. So back to, you know, Vietnam is my point. In that if you're going to say we lost Vietnam, fine. I understand. But why and how can you lose when you get taken out of and what you were fear what was gonna happen the thing you feared the most right a North Vietnamese invasion of the South that's what we feared and you knew it was coming the South you know South Vietnamese army knew it was coming it was just they knew it was coming how come we lost when we actually what happened we knew that was gonna happen if we did that Right. I mean, for me personally, I really think a big part of it is the lack of understanding what was going on by the anti-war movement here in the States. I think not only was there a lack of understanding, but it was a lack of appreciation for the military. No doubt. There will always be that in Vietnam. That's what makes Vietnam Vietnam. You know, they came home to not a home. They came home to crap, right? So, but why do we, why is it just a paragraph, right? They say Korea is a couple sentences, Vietnam is a paragraph. Why is it just a paragraph? You can't fit. History doesn't fit in a paragraph, right? Presidents want to have a paragraph about them in the history books. That's fine. But historical events that last three pres- three different presidents, much longer than that, a lot of, like, that's more than a paragraph. 